How much would you be willing to risk for Jesus? Is there anything about Jesus' life, anything about his death, that might nudge you to risk more of yourself for him? To tell you, the past few days, I've been doing a lot of looking over my shoulder, waiting for the temple guards to come for me. I've had a number of conversations with my wife and my closest friends about what I ought to do. Should I run? Should I stay? Should I just go as business as usual and hope for the best? Should I, should I go underground and try to run things from, from the sidelines? worried about myself, but I'm more concerned about my family and and even my servants and my closest friends. I mean, just, I'm sorry. It just hits me that you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. What's going on? Well, let me, let me see if I can fill in some of the details by, by taking you sort of back to the beginning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Joseph, and I come from the town of Arimathea, 15 or so miles northwest of Jerusalem. I was born into a wealthy family. My father taught me the business, and when, when he could no longer run it, I took over. And we've been blessed. I have wealth. I'm a powerful person. I'm influential. I even serve on the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish ruling council of life and faith. Sanhedrin is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and priests, and virtually all of us are from the upper echelons of society. I was also raised in in a home where we were encouraged to to worship God with all sincerity. I was taught the scriptures. I knew all about Abraham and Moses, about Joshua and Samuel and, and David and Elijah, men who loved God and served God. And actually, I, I kind of wanted to pattern my life after theirs. I wanted to have a kind of of religion that was more than just ritual. So I tried to do good to other people. I tried to be a kind and generous person. And I certainly am not always what I want to be, but that's the desire of my heart. I'd like to think that maybe, maybe that That desire for goodness and righteousness might have been what what first helped me to notice Jesus. Now, my colleagues in the Sanhedrin, they hate him. And they don't care that everybody knows that they hate him. They're afraid he's going to usurp their power. They're afraid that, that Jesus is going to start an uprising and bring the hammer of Rome down on us. I have some concerns myself. Something about, something about this rabbi's teachings and, and the miracles he performs and, and the 
humble way he carries himself. Something about that spoke to the that deepest yearning in my soul. My friend Nicodemus had the opportunity to have a conversation with Jesus one night. And the next day he told me all about it. And I think from that moment on, we began to believe. To believe that Jesus was from God. To believe that Jesus was, was worthy to be followed. But we were fearful. And so we, we kept our, our belief to ourselves. At least we did until everything came to a head those few days before Passover. Jesus was back in Jerusalem for Passover, you know, that highest and holiest day of the year. A time when the city is teeming with pilgrims from from virtually every nation. Between all of these people being there and Jesus being present, you could feel the tension rising. And then I was stunned when Jesus threw the vendors out of the temple. And it seemed as though every report that came back to us was another caustic encounter between Jesus and the religious leaders. It seemed as though Jesus was trying to stir up things. And then that night, the night when we were all called to a special meeting of the Sanhedrin, I don't think anyone was more shocked than me to See the temple guards drag in Jesus bound. You don't have to have a law degree to know that the whole trial was a sham. Caiaphas, the high priest, and Annas, his father-in-law, and those who supported them were a powerful group of people. And despite our, our feeble protests, Jesus was was found guilty of blasphemy and, and sent off to Pilate. And at the insistence of his enemies, Pilate condemned him to death. Now as Jesus hung on the cross, the agony of death squeezing hard at him, his frail, weak body. It was almost impossible for him to breathe, much less speak. He didn't say very much from the cross, but what he said just grabbed me. You could sense his agony of spirit as he, as he cried out to God. And then he saw his mother. He spoke so gently and kindly to her. It was obvious he cared more about her than about himself. And despite, despite the fact that what those we had done to, to put him on the cross, he talked about love and forgiveness. And finally, as death's grip came upon him, 
committed his spirit to God. There was something about the way he died, something about the words that he spoke that pierced into my heart. Something about what I saw of Jesus on the cross I had never seen before. It began to shatter my selfish illusion that I could be a follower of Jesus in the shadows. As that realization began to to pour over me, I realized that I needed to do something. It's kind of interesting how God creates us. Whenever we make a a private decision. There's always a, a yearning, and, and I would even say a need, for us to, to make that decision public. We have, we have rituals in our, in our culture where when in private, uh, uh, it's, it's decide, decided that a couple is going to be married, we have public rituals to celebrate that and to announce that. I would guess that you might have some of those same kinds of rituals when couples become engaged. Now I was feeling this yearning, this pull to do something about being a follower of Jesus. I needed to do something to tell people about my allegiance to him. But what? What should I do? What could I do? How could, I, how could I let people know that I was a follower of Jesus? The idea had to come from God because I'm sure I would never have thought of it on my own. But when I heard that they were trying to, to, to get the, take the bodies off the cross before the end of the day so that they wouldn't be a, a problem on the Passover, it came to me in a flash. Had anyone done anything about taking care of Jesus after his death? Had anyone made any arrangements for a decent burial for Jesus? I looked around and the only disciples that I saw was, the only disciple I saw was John. It didn't look like he was going to do anything. And there was Jesus' mother and, and some of the women who supported Jesus in his ministry, but... It wasn't something for them to do. I hoped that Jesus' closest followers wouldn't be offended by what I was contemplating, but that even if they were, I, I had to go ahead. I knew it was what I needed to do. As, as plans about, about a burial for Jesus went through my mind, I thought of my friend Nicodemus. I wondered, has had his heart been touched as mine had? had had his eyes been opened as mine had been? Was he willing to, to stick out his neck, knowing full well that Caiaphas would do everything in his power to chop it off? I was real willing to risk. I soon discovered that Nicodemus was too. And so together, one heart and one mind, we went to see Pilate. A little bit concerned about making this request to Pilate. After all, Jesus had been 
executed as an insurrectionist of the state. And the Romans were very clear about making a spectacle of people who were insurrectionists of the state. They didn't just crucify them, but they left them to hang on the cross for two or three days while the vultures swarmed them. And then when it was finally time to bring them down, they threw them in a trash heap outside the gates of the city. The whole thing was intended to be a tacit reminder that crimes against the state do not pay. Now, we were going to Pilate, asking him to let us do something nice for Jesus. He might think we were complicit with him. We might be arrested for treason, but we didn't care. It was what we needed to do. As you might imagine, because of all the events of earlier in the morning, Pilate was a little hesitant to let us in. But we were wealthy and, and honestly, not without a fair amount of influence. So he agreed to see us. Pilate was surprised that Jesus would be already dead. And Pilate, Pilate is, if nothing else, cautious and careful. So he sent one of his soldiers to verify our story. I got the feeling the pilot was, I don't know, both relieved and surprised at the request we were making. I think he was relieved because what we were asking really wasn't going to create too much political turmoil for him. Not like some of the requests that had been made earlier in the day. And I think he was surprised because, because of people like us, of, of people in our social position and of our social standing coming and, and risking ourselves like this. He knew Caiaphas. He knew uh, that Caiaphas didn't take well people who opposed him. And he knew Caiaphas would do anything to hurt us. And he... Pilate wondered aloud to us if we really knew what we were getting ourselves into. We assured him that we did. Because after all that Jesus had done for us, what Jesus had been through, what we were feeling in our hearts, was the least we could do. Pilate sort of shrugged his shoulders and mumbled something about not being able to imagine it. Condemned criminal being worth that. A few minutes later, the soldier returned and told Pilate that Jesus was indeed dead. And a bit reluctantly, Pilate turned him over to us. We walked out of Pilate's palace and were immediately struck with how much we had to do. The sun was, was fading in the sky and And with it, with the beginning of Sabbath, when we couldn't do anything. And so while I ran to get a decent burial cloth, Nicodemus ran to get the spices. We met back at the cross, and we were both a little surprised at how many people were still around, including some of our colleagues in the Sanhedrin. 
began to murmur a bit as I made my way up the makeshift ladder. The murmuring grew as with the help of a pry bar, I began to extricate the nails from Jesus' hands and feet. I have to tell you what a gruesome task that was. His body was already beginning to show signs of rigor mortis. And those dozens of eyes staring at us didn't make it any easier. They began to berate us as they had berated Jesus. And there was just a moment, just a moment when I was tempted to forget all of that. What was I doing? What was I thinking? I'd made a decision in haste. It was just an emotional response. This was way too much to risk. And then, in the same amount of time it took me to ask those questions and ponder, I realized, no, I was doing what I needed to do and what I wanted to do. I had originally been fearful of being a, an overt follower of Jesus because I was afraid of what might happen to my reputation, to my wealth, to my family. And I felt it was, it was too much to lose. Now I realize that I couldn't do anything else. We wrapped Jesus' body in, loosely in the linen and with the help of our servants, Nicodemus and I made our way to the tomb. It was a new tomb. It was nearby, so it had easy access. It was a tomb I'd been saving for my own family, but I needed it now. Nicodemus and I carried Jesus' body through the entrance and into this this cave that was cut out of the rock. We laid Jesus on, on one of the stone benches. And we began to, to wrap his body and apply the spices that were, that were used in order to, to combat the stench of decomposition. There was a moment... It was a moment when I, I stared into Jesus' swollen, bleeding face. And, and in that moment, this, this wave of emotion just crashed in on me. I began to weep. I wept for Jesus. I wept for a world that, that would do such a thing. I wept for myself. I felt such shame for all of the things that I didn't say and all of the things that I didn't do. All of the times when I was content just to stay back in the shadows. I carried a lot of weight. My words had power. I could have stood up for Jesus. I, I, I could have... I could have said a word for him, a strong word. I could have warned the disciples. I could have done something, anything. 
But I was too worried about myself. As I dried my tears, I realized that now all of that was changing. When we finished, Nicodemus and I exited the tomb, and with the help of our servants, we we pushed this massive stone down into its channel and, and secured it against the entrance. And then we wedged smaller stones into each end. Yeah, it would take some special tools and probably a good half a dozen strong men to move that stone anywhere. And then as darkness was descending upon us, we made our way back to the city. been about a week or so since since that Sabbath Eve. More has happened than I can begin to understand. All I know is that the morning after the Sabbath, women came running in saying that Jesus was gone. Some of us, and I was now spending quite a bit of time with Peter and James and John and the other disciples. And some of us ran to the tomb and sure enough, the guards were gone and the massive stone had been tossed aside and the tomb was empty. The linen cloth was right there. It looked like nothing had been touched, but Jesus was gone. We're back to town, scratching our heads, wondering what in the world had happened. And the disciples quizzed me, Joseph, Joseph, are you sure Jesus was dead? Of course, I'm sure. Nicodemus and I were the, the two best eyewitnesses to that. We, we, just to make sure, we, we felt for a pulse and we got nothing. We put a feather over his lips. Nothing. We wrapped his body in cloths. He was dead. And now he was gone. Then someone reminded us that Jesus Jesus had said something about resurrection. And all we could do was hope and, and pray. And then, then Jesus appeared. And our lives and our worlds were turned upside down. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I might need to flee. I might be arrested. I might lose everything I've worked so hard for. That's okay. Because I'm going to be a follower of Jesus no matter what. And it occurs to me that maybe... Maybe you actually know more about the cross than I do. Maybe you know more about about all the dynamics of Jesus' death than I do. And so knowing more and understanding more, what are you willing to risk for Jesus? Are you willing to give up your possessions, your comforts, 
Are you willing to give up your rights and submit to him? Are you willing to give up all of those things that you hold so dear in order to say what he wants you to say, to go where he wants you to go? What are you willing to risk for Jesus? It's only been a few days for me, but I can already tell that giving up all and risking for Jesus is never going to be the wrong decision because I'm giving up all and risking for the one who truly loves me. As you ponder the cross, as you ponder what Jesus has done for you, what are you willing to risk for him?